Words have already been shared this morning, expressive of the fact it is the first day of terms of first day of the week assemblies for the year 2021. And aren't we so thankful that we can gather, that we can assemble this morning? For certainly in the midst of the kind of challenges and difficulties that some parts of the last year brought, no doubt, we realize how much more challenging things could be. It is good to see each and every individual here today. And for those that have battled difficulties in various ways and to overcome them to the extent you have, I know how grateful you no doubt are. And we certainly are thankful and hopeful that our present year can be one where we glorify God in every way He would wish us to do it. You may have noticed the title of the lesson today behind me on the wall has to do with the law of inertia. Now that word may be a bit odd, and in fact it may even be somewhat unfamiliar, but I think in the next few moments, not only can we appreciate the idea behind it, but we can in fact put into practice in our own Christian life many blessings and many good thoughts related to it. By way of introduction, the opening slide will basically remind us of the following. We all understand that just as we noticed in the lesson last Lord's Day morning, the title of it was New Year, and quite often as we move from one year to a new one, we begin to consider those matters that we might be able to do differently, those things we might be able to do better, those things that might allow us to be more dutiful, better stewards, and perhaps better servants. I thought then with regard to the lesson today, we would look at the so-called law of inertia. Now that title, like I said, may be a bit unusual, but this next slide, I hope, will make that very plain. You see, in science, one of the things that we learn is really has to do with the idea of inertia, but that concept is not only connected to science. It's connected to our life in Christ. And it's connected to the ordinary way in which you and I might find ourselves living. It has to do with this. Isaac Newton was a very famous scientist, and he, in fact, set forth some basic things you and I know well. He taught a lot about gravity. He taught a lot about waves and things like that. But in addition to that, he had a law called his first law. And I've written it for you, and all I'm going to ask you to do is note what it says. An object at rest will stay at rest unless it's acted upon by a force. Now that perhaps seems simple once you've heard it. The idea is one in which though it has been a critical matter connected to the way in which we've learned to do many things. That same law says that an object in motion will stay in motion in the same way unless it's acted upon by force. You'll notice then that, that law from a standpoint of describing objects, it's easy to know what it says. And we, of course, in our classes at college, encourage students to learn it, to appreciate it, and to apply it. But you'll notice about the middle of that slide, that has some rather direct implications, according to the Bible, for you and for me. On the next slide, I've asked you to consider a picture, just to hopefully embed in your thinking what this first law has said. There's a ball shown at the top left. That ball, if it's at rest, it will stay at rest until and unless some force acts on it to change that motion. By the same token, a ball in motion will continue in motion unless and until some force acts on it to cause that motion to change. Let's go back to that previous slide then. 
let's make some applications then to us. Maybe as you and I contemplate our life, the characteristic features of it, there might be some things that you and I would wish to make things different or better. And I've listed a whole host of them at the bottom of that opening slide. Maybe as you and I begin to contemplate this coming year, we think, I'm going to do better at calling my fellow Christians and encouraging them. I'm going to plan to do better at sending cards. I'm going to do better at attendance. If that has been a weakness in the past, I'm going to make an effort and a diligent one to make that necessary change. For others, it might be, I'm going to be more dutiful in my prayer life. I'm going to make my prayers more vibrant, more meaningful, more filled with the vigor that we seemingly see described in the Word of God. For others, it might be a reflection on the Word of God to make an effort and an intent to implant into our heart more critically and simply what the teaching of the Bible is. For others, it might be a matter of, I'm going to do better at sharing the gospel in terms of my co-workers, in terms of those I perhaps know in the various avenues of my life. I'm going to make an effort to at least invite them to services, sharing with them the blessed message of salvation. For others, it might be, I'm going to try to change the way I think about things. I'm going to think more in line with the consistency and the character of those blessedness of things described in Philippians 4.8. Think on things that are true and honest and just, and pure, and lovely, and of a good report. I'm going to try in this coming year to center my thinking on matters not so much connected to the iniquity and evil that the world so often presents. I know I'm surrounded by those things, but I'm going to try to think more critically and carefully on matters that you and I have just noted. You can probably add a thousand things to that list. Things that you and I might wish to contemplate doing better. But you may notice that idea carries over to so many other avenues of life. You and I might wish to change our diet this year, to live in some way regarded as more healthy. I'll simply say this. There is a law of inertia. If there isn't a force applied to change the state, the state is not going to change. And you and I will simply roll right into the coming year and live the same old way we have unless we apply a force as indicated to make the necessary changes. You know, these ideas are very powerfully put in the Word of God, aren't they? Let's use this next slide to motivate us to think along that line. It has to do with changing. Did you notice that whole description we mentioned earlier? The ball will stay at rest. Its motion won't change until some force impels it to do so. Similarly, that ball in motion, its motion won't change unless some force impels it. And yet the fact is, the Word of God insists presenting before us the fact that God demands that we be people appreciative of that force. Let's look at some verses. One of the most basic and beautiful things in the Word of God is the essence of change. Would you reflect with me for a moment on the day of Pentecost? 
there were Jewish people that had gathered at the Pentecost celebration and had done so for almost 1,500 years. Now, that is to their credit. They had understood the nature of God's demand relative to that. But the fact is, Peter and the other apostles that day presented to them a message, and their response was this, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They knew that the status quo wasn't sufficient. They knew that what had been done was no longer enough. It was not sufficient. They begged, what must we do to change? What is it, Peter replied? In verse 38, he said, repent. That word repent, doesn't that still mean to change one's mind and it leads to a change in one's action? Change is necessary. The force is needed. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Now, isn't it true that with regard to that statement of change that they were needed to appreciate, look at a few other verses that also echo that same sentiment. Jesus put it like this in Luke 13, verses 3 and 5. He said, Nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Now, that circumstance was one where the, those that were assembled and listening to the Master's teaching, they often again were comfortable with a way of life that they had known. Jesus said that's not sufficient. Change. To change for the better. To change in light of what God has commanded. With that in mind, look with me at Luke twenty four forty six, In the closing chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, we often, I suppose, think quite often about both Matthew and Mark's version of the Great Commission. But have you ever thought about Luke's version seen this way? Jesus speaking said, Thus it is written, And thus it behooved the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name among all nations. In other words, repentance was a centerpiece of that which Luke wrote. May I suggest that not only is that needful for those that are to become Christians, even for those of us that are Christians, the Bible still continues to say we must grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.18 Maybe it is in that connection and in that way that we'll devote the remainder of the lesson time this morning to ask, what about the practicalities then of overcoming inertia so that I, in fact, and you can do those things in a better way, to be better servants, to implement those matters we need to. These three quick observations are those which seemingly are fundamental. The first thing to observe is that inertia will not be overcome without the force. In other words, whether it be a matter like a soccer ball, like we noted in the picture, or whether it be your life or mine, no change will occur unless we with determination apply the necessary force to make it so. And that immediately leads us to note this opening observation. Change is not likely to be easy. If it were, it would have been done a long time ago. It is going to be challenging, and it will be met with obstacles because make sure you know the devil does not want any improvement to be made. 
He does not want any change for the good to take place. The devil is a master of the status quo. He will provide reasons and arguments and approaches whereby if we listen to that, there will be no change for the good. And yet you'll notice that one of the verses I ask you to note in light of anything that's sinful, consider this particular passage. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. As Paul addressed the congregation at Corinth, he reminded them rather directly this. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. The first thing we might note, then in light of anything that's not wholesome, in light of anything that in itself has an element of sinfulness, may we rest assured the following is true. There is a way of escape. It is not such that we must, in fact, be given to it. As hard as it might be to overcome, it is possible. I would think that that by itself should be very encouraging. There are many of those in our world, of course, battling any number of so-called addictions. And may I say that with regard to any habit... With regard to anything, it can be overcome. May I say, though, that that premise, at least, applies in other ways in life. Though difficult it might be, can you not, and I not see that both Old and New Testament alike, when God encouraged improvement for the good, He always made the power available such that it could take place. Lesson number two reads like this. Not only is the issue to be true that the change may well not be easy, but a slogan that has become one well known among manufacturers of tennis shoes and certain clothing. Just do it. Don't think about it too long. And don't think with too much consideration about what other things might take place. If you realize that improvement is entirely thus in order, may we set forth the effort, set forth the determination, and with an element of devotion, pursue it. Just do it. I ask you to consider Philippians 2.15. In that particular passage, Paul, writing to the Philippian church, rather directly told them, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's then a work, there's an application you and I must make. We cannot expect others to make it for us. We can't expect others to do, in fact, do it for us. We will have to be the primary forces in application of the truth we know to step forward in light of the change we've understood and make those necessary adjustments. Just do it. Brother Joe read a moment ago from Romans 6, verse 17. That passage has been such a motivating, compelling force for so long, and it continues to be so. Listen with me at the words. Paul, in addressing that congregation, told them something, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. Now that's not saying Paul was thankful they had been sinners, because the verse goes on to say this. God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, and being made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. 
Paul is merely stating that which took place. They had been sinners. They were sinners at one time, but they had done something. The verb Paul used was obeyed. We know that involves repentance. They changed. Whatever those former issues and conducts and behaviors in life had been, they gave those sinful things up and adopted the life in Christ. They made positive steps forward. Can you and I do that today? If they could then, why can't we? Just do it. As we just learned a moment ago, it's not to say it'll be obviously easy. But lesson number three builds on that to say this. When those obstacles arise, and when we realize the challenges are there, one of the things the Bible teaches us that can be so meaningful and that can be so helpful is found in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. I'd like you to note with me the wording that the inspired writer utilized there. And while you're turning to that passage, and while we in fact build toward its application, may I say, all of us know that when we've tried to make some changes in life, we may for a little while perhaps develop a new habit, but we soon fall back into what we once were. And that's easily done. How do we make the changes permanent? How do we make them a part of who we now are? Maybe this passage helps us. The inspired writer begins by saying, and let me put it in context along with you, so that you can see the point he makes. Remember in the previous chapter, chapter 11, he had just listed the honor roll of faith, these notable characters through history who had acted in such noble ways in light of faithfulness. Mention is made of Abel, and Noah, and Moses, and Abraham, and a whole host of others. But now, after having mentioned them, he says this. Verse 1, chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. Let's make a few observations. First, there is a great cloud of witnesses. You and I might do well then to think about the challenges that some Bible characters faced. When you and I realize that we thus are in rather difficult circumstances, think back to Joseph. He was one of those characters mentioned in Hebrews 11. His brothers hated him and sold him, and he was a long distance removed from his family for a long time. He ultimately was lied about by Potiphar's wife, found himself in prison. We all remember how that turned out. His faith in God did not waver. God saw him through the challenge, brought him emergent victory on the other side, and he rose to prominence as second to Pharaoh in Egypt. What a grand biblical record. When you and I face our difficulties, might we never forget that Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. Along that line, consider this. You also notice on that slide I've asked you to notice that that message continues, not only remembering the cloud of witnesses, but he says, lay aside every weight. One of the things you and I know well is we perhaps watch 
a given runner, perhaps an Olympic event, those trained runners, of course, they don't wear heavy boots when they run. They wear the lightest, most athletically oriented shoes so that they're better equipped to run successfully. Did you notice? He commanded us to lay aside weights. Are there weights, habits, difficulties in life that you can lay aside, but to this point you haven't? Why are we holding on to them? May we with diligence set those weights aside so that we can do what the Hebrew writer said, run with patience the race set before us. You and I have the opportunity as this new year has begun to perhaps develop our servanthood to Christ more carefully, more successfully, more notably. But that will require that we change some things by setting aside weights. But what else did he say? Looking unto Jesus. We must keep our eyes focused upon the goal before us. That goal is faithful living so we can leave this life and go to heaven. May we never lose sight of that goal. For nothing else ultimately will matter. To focus on that goal reminds us that even in the other matters in our life, that will be vital. To realize the benefit that lies ahead and to do it. May I suggest, though our listing might be extended like this one. I thought it wise to include this one as an element of its own. I mentioned earlier in the lesson today, and you and I know it well based on verses like 1 Peter 5, 8, that our adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He will ensure that change will not be simple. He will ensure that anything good is going to be difficult to obtain. Any change is going to be challenging. But may I say, even when those challenges arise, let's remember not only Joseph, but others like Moses. They didn't give up. Moses was surrounded by a people who often were given to complaining. In fact, they were rather faithless in Numbers 13. Despite the fact God had parted the Red Sea for them, despite the fact He had fed them with manna and quail, despite the fact He had made promise to them of a sweet location of milk and honey. It is said in that chapter they disbelieved. In the midst of all of that, Moses, nonetheless, in gentleness and meekness, continued his faithful living. He didn't give up. You and I today mustn't either. We must be those who persevere to the end. I've invited you to consider a couple of verses that Jesus Himself asks us to consider. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, as the Lord was giving descriptions to those that were to go out on a commission, He said, He that endureth to the end shall be saved. It's not those that start the journey. It's those who both start it and complete it. He that endureth to the end. Didn't the, the revelator, John, say it like this in Revelation 2.10? Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. Didn't Paul write to the Corinthian congregation and encourage them with these words? Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord... 
when moments of stickiness and challenge arise, may we not give up, but realize that behind it, there is a brighter day that shall dawn. There's a more beautiful horizon that will appear. It may be in that connection, in that light, you might then note this lesson drawn from Noah's day. You and I remember that God gave Noah a very challenging commandment. In a day long before there were power saws, in a day long before there were drill presses and other things, he was told to construct this gigantic vessel we call the ark. With only what tools he had, it was a job that could be done. Though difficult and challenging and demanding of a great amount of time, he not only started that task, but he completed it. And by the time that Genesis 6 closes, we read this, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. The changes then that you and I might contemplate that will make ourselves better servants of the Lord, as we noted earlier, that might touch many particulars in life. May we rest assured that these particulars we've learned today might assist us to carrying those out and making it a reality. But you'll notice the fifth one is this. Do you remember earlier that we studied about inertia and that force that's required? Jesus is the one that said, speaking to those apostles, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Doesn't that sound like a daunting task? Doesn't that sound like a tremendous chore? But you and I remember he said this in that same sentence. He said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. The Lord was the motivating force behind the activities of those apostles. He was the force driving them to carry out that which they did. Today, in our service for Jesus, it is not us. It is He that works through us. The force is Him. Is it any wonder then that He said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world? And just as surely as He spoke that to them, in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, those words are given to us. Are you and I connected to Him? Is He our power supply? We understand that we must plug things into an appropriate power supply in order that the force be sufficient. Who's the power supply in your life and mine? If we are trying to do it ourselves, if we're trying to rely on the wisdom of men, we will surely fail. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 5, we're admonished to appreciate this. Your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And today, and this year... I hope that we can utilize perhaps some of these observations today to motivate us to be better stewards, more faithful servants, and those better equipped to serve in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we enlist the assistance of others sometimes, those others may not include only Christ, but our brothers and our sisters in Christ, perhaps our family members and even others. The Bible gives us examples of those things, and I've listed them for your consideration. In Romans 12, verse 15, Rejoice with those that do rejoice. Have you ever thought of it this way? How do you know to rejoice unless someone has shared with you the information that relates to that matter? And by the same token, to weep with those that weep. 
No doubt we've often been encouraged as well as comforted by the kind words of family members or fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. There is a great strength that comes with number. The Old Testament has much to say about that. Would you notice Ecclesiastes with me? Turn back and look carefully with me at chapter 4 of that book. Ecclesiastes, the fourth chapter. Specifically, may I draw your attention to verse number 9. We will look carefully at only three of the verses that follow, but at any rate, listen to verse 9 with me. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. The inspired writer begins by pointing out that two are better than one. And the reason he mentions is this. They are able to accomplish by way of motivation more likely than what each one individually would. But he goes on to say this in verse 10. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Quite often the issue of encouragement, the motivation, the incentive that will arrive can often from another motivate one in ways beyond the challenges and difficulties that individually would have been enough to cause the work to stop. Notice also verse number 12. And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Isn't it true that we've also understood you take a single string, perhaps that's easy to break. But take three of them and wind them or weave them together and now note how difficult it is to break it. The writer of Ecclesiastes uses that point to say when three have joined their forces, their motivation, their purpose and directive in life and their mutual determination, how much greater is the mutual goodness of that group. Isn't it true then we can use all of these ideas today to perhaps use in us the kind of things to make this year to be such that our service to the Master might be even greater. As we conclude this lesson this morning, could I again say that inertia is not only a fact in science, it is simply a fact in the way that you and I realize this universe God has made. And even in our walk of life, we'll just continue to do what we've always done unless that force is applied to make some changes. If you need to make changes in your life today, we've learned that there are five little tricks or tools that the Bible gives us that can help us make the necessary change. The Bible often calls it repentance, but first realize the change isn't going to be easy. But just do it. Step in faith forward and start to make that change and the power and the motivation will follow as you do the following. Focus on the goal. As you focus on that accomplished goal, don't ever give up. And let others be motivating forces to help you. Today, there could be someone in this assembly that would be in a position to wish to make a change by making confession of error. Maybe though once a faithful Christian, today you're not. You've behaved in ways that have brought shame upon you and upon the name of Christ. Or maybe you have in fact just been derelict in various duties. There are things you know you could have done but didn't do it. And you'd like this year to be different. 
you'd like this time to be better. If we could pray for your strength, we'd be happy to do that. But if you'd like to confess errors, sins, we'd be delighted to make note of those things as we petition God to forgive you. If you repent of them and confess, He's promised He will. But it could be that as a person that's never become a Christian, you haven't availed yourself at all of the power source of Jesus Christ. You have attempted, at least to this point, to go it alone. You realize that that's sure to fail. Because it is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Jeremiah 10.23 If today you'd like to obey the gospel initially, what a sweet way to start the year 2021. The plan of salvation has been the same now since the Master gave it. You need to hear the words of truth. Hear the gospel. Believe Jesus with all your heart to be the Son of God. Repent of the sins in your life. Make confession of the name of Christ as the Messiah, the Son of God, to be baptized for the remission of sins. If you do those things, you not only will be added to the church, but you'll be connected to the power source leading you to heaven. If you'll just walk faithfully along that line, heaven will be yours. If today we could be of some assistance or some help, won't you overcome the inertia that can so much weight you down? And may we all strive this year to implement those matters using our talents for the service of, of Christ. And today, if one or more would wish to come, won't you do it now while together we stand and sing?